praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we continue to talk about end times, and that's what we're looking at, is the end times. And it's going to be much more than what I ever thought of as I'm going through this and picking out certain areas to just bring us into line with this and to really see it and to really think about it. Because oftentimes when we talk about end times, it's so far away to us that it's something we shouldn't even be given much thought to. But yet, it's so close to us that we need to be very much aware that we are approaching a time in which oftentimes as Christians, we want to get away from And what I want you to understand is this here. There's going to be some difficult days for us. There's going to be some difficult days. I'm not saying we'll go through tribulation or part of tribulation. I don't know. But what I do know that the Lord said, be ready. And I don't know sometimes if the church is really ready. And readiness is an area of mentality. Because you need to understand Satan's going to attack you mentally. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ says, when he comes, will he find any who are faithful? Because there has to be a determination in your spirit and in your mind that you're going to remain faithful to the Lord, whatever may come. That you're going to be faithful to the Lord. And that is so important to be able to somehow put it together in our lives, and that we're saying, Lord, I'm going to stand for you. I'm going to stand for you. The scripture tells us that you've done all else, do what? Just stand. Just stand. And we need to be a people who have the ability and know that we have the power through the Holy Spirit To stand no matter what may come. Because the challenge is going to be is to denounce the Lord Jesus Christ. The challenge is going to be is to say openly, I denounce Jesus Christ. And for some of us, we will be like some others. I'll I'll say that, but the Lord knows my heart. Just for us to get by. And the challenge for us is never to deny the Lord Jesus Christ, but to stand for him, no matter what the pressures might be. And we're going to see some pressures in America that we have never seen before. And changes are taking place. Changes are taking place. And what you need to recognize is this, is how much greater is it The intensity. Look at the intensity of a subject. If you look at divorce, the question is, how how much more of that do we see? If you look at marriage, how much more do we see that people are not getting married? If you look at young ladies having children out of wedlock, how much more do we see that? If we see the 
lostness of manhood and young men not moving from teenagers or young adults into manhood. How intense is that? If we see abuse in a household, has that become more intense, more fighting in families? How intense that is. If you see rebellion in children, how much more intense is that? How much greater is it today than what it was at some other period? Watch the gradual climb of the vulgarity or the horrificness of crime. I heard on news this week just one time of a 17-year-old who shot or killed her mom and dad and ran off with her 20-year-old, 21-year-old boyfriend. Killed her mom and dad. Now, just think how much that is happening in our society today. Where years ago, we didn't hear much of it. But we're hearing... Young children, young people, shooting or hurting their parents. That never entered my mind to even raise my hand toward my mom. And especially thinking I'm going to take my dad out. That, my dad could read that thought. <laughs> and yet, today, the moment children hit eye-to-eye level with mom, they think at that point they can take mom and they can run over mom because they're just as big and they're eye-to-eye now. If there's not something there to buffer that, you see that child begin to take more advantage of mom. And that's why dads are put in the house by God. To buffer that young man. Because at some point the young man does become stronger than the mother. And it is the father then that protects and backs the young man off. The whole process is that there has to be something to deter the sin that is taking place in our culture and our society. And yet, as Christians, we know it's going to get what? Worse. Not going to get better. It's only getting worse. Vandalism is going to get worse. Now, Now, catch this and see if you see it in everyday life. Ungentlemanliness. How many young men have lost the ability to be a gentleman? Or know anything about being a gentleman? Knowing anything about trying to treat a young woman like a lady. And how many young girls want to be treated like a lady? But it is the men who have to treat the young ladies like a lady if they're going to be a lady. But young ladies have to carry themselves as ladies if a young man is going to be a gentleman around them. See, demanding respect often comes on how you yourself 
present yourself. Respect comes. Then watch the lewd behavior of people. The loudness of a behavior. There was a time you did not hear women cussing. And now, boy, the, what comes out of a woman's mouth? They can be as beautiful, but when they open their mouth, they become ugly. You know? And, and what comes out of their mouth? You know? It used, it used to be, okay, men would do that, but men would not do it around who? Women. Now, they don't care because they're both doing it. They both do it. I always tried to set a certain rule in my house, and one, Elaine doesn't cuss at me, I don't cuss at her. Number two, we don't really shout. And that doesn't mean I don't raise a voice, but we don't shout. We don't shout at each other. If you don't set certain boundaries for yourself, then people don't know where to stop. (laughs) And you have to be a person who sets the boundaries. If not, you're going to find lewd behavior taking place. You're going to find brutality on the rise. It was said, how can you teach a young person to take off somebody's head? You just teach them. And that becomes an act to many of us that's just outright brutal, even for a young person. But look at some of the games that young people are playing. Look at some of the actions of young people towards older people. We're living in a time that things are getting worse and not better. Ecclesiastic 1.9 simply says, What has been will be what? Will be again. And what has been done will be done again. Now, this becomes the issue. There is nothing new under the sun. It just magnifies itself. It just intensifies. It just gets greater. See, we see Cain as the first rebellious child, really, in a sense. So rebellion's always been with us. But it's intensified that our children, our grandchildren, they disrespect and they want to rebel. And there's nothing new under the sun. And because there's nothing new under the sun... People scoff at us as Christians and laugh at us when we say Christ is coming. And they do that because they do not have knowledge of Scripture. Nor do they really believe it. For in 2 Peter 3, 3 and 4 it says, First of all, you must understand that in the last days, what kind of days? The last days. Scoffers will come. What scoffers? Somebody who mocks you. Somebody who will laugh at you. Somebody who will ridicule you. Somebody who will say, how foolish and dumb you are to believe in something like this. That Jesus is coming back. 
Don't you know that everything remains the same? The same thing been going on for years. He's been dead. He is dead. And you're believing that he's coming back? What a fool you are. It's somebody who mocks you, laughs at you about what you believe. And a lot of us, we become a little shameful of it. We become a little guilty of it because we don't want to look foolish. We don't want people laughing at us. We kind of back off from it then. A sharing about Jesus Christ and Him coming. But He says, scoffers and follow, following their own evil, what? Their own evil desires. They will say, Where is His coming? Now just think about it. How long the church has been saying, Jesus Christ is coming? Now, now just, just think about that for a moment. Because it goes all the way back to Paul's day. That the church has been saying, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. And yet, he has not what? He hasn't come yet. He hasn't come yet. But what we need to remember is this. He promised. And because he promised, he is. We forget how long it took for his first coming. And what we need to realize, he's coming. Because he promised. And he will keep his word. Even since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And that's their reasoning why he's not coming. Because everything remains the same. There's nothing new under the sun. It's still happening. Nothing's changed here. And what has changed, what the Christian isn't catching is this. The intensity of things. How much greater it is. How much more rebellion it is. How often men have come to a point that they themselves will not come under the authority of Jesus Christ. The intensity of that. How hard it is to get men and persuade men about the things of the gospel. Far worse today. Now, in Matthew 24, 39, he says, And they knew nothing about what would happen. Talking about the flood. Now, take note of that. They knew nothing. Now, is it that they knew nothing or desired not to know nothing? Because God gave Noah a message and Noah preached that message. But men chose to do what? Close their ears to the message. And you can close your ears to God, but that doesn't mean God will change what he's going to do. God will always give a warning. God will always give a warning. God will always send his messenger before he does so. God doesn't do it in secret. God doesn't act in secret. God gives man the opportunity to repent and to realize something's going to take place. 
And he says, they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Underline that part. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. That people choose to know nothing. People choose to reject what the message says about Christ's coming. For the church, he says, if you really believe this, it ought to be doing something to you. It should be purifying you. It should be drawing you closer to him. It should cause you to be looking up and saying, my redemption draw nigh. It is not a sad point. It should be a rejoicing point on your part that you know that your Savior is keeping his word and he's coming for his church. That should be a joyous time for you and for me. Now in 2 Timothy, he's going to give us some things to begin to look at. And to ask ourselves this question. Do we see these things intensifying? Do we see these things growing and getting greater? Do we see these things on a scale like we've never seen them before? Because there's nothing new under the sun. But yet, he says, when you really begin to see these things, when these things begin to intensify, for he says, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. But when you begin to see war even intensify and get greater, you need to take note of that. You need to take note of that. Even when we see the United States backing off Israel, even as we see the Turks who want to maybe invade Israel, when we see Russia getting more of that, when we begin to see Israel standing alone all by itself, because it says all nations will turn from Israel, we need to be taking note of that. We need to take note. We need to be aware of it. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to go through one through five, but we may not get through all of these. Cause I'm going to take each one of these one at a time because oftentimes we just read through them. We catch the words, but we don't take a time to give thought maybe to the word. And what I want to do is give thought to the word. I can't hear you. Second Thessalonians, Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5. And what we want to do is look at the words and see if that word is intensifying today. To see what the Lord says, is it getting worse? Is it mounting? Can we see a greaterness of it? He says, this is something you have to do. When you get to that verse 5, he says, Having a form of godliness. Do you see people with a form of godliness today? Not really sold out for Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm saved, but not doing the will of God. Not following the word of God. Not being obedient to the word of God. But want to declare, I'm saved, but the whole life is contrary to Scripture. I'm not saying that you have to be perfect. But you're living 
as though you are being transformed, you are being changed, you are becoming a new creature in Christ Jesus, and you know that God is going to make you into the image of Christ, not into the image of the devil. But everything about your life says you're living for the devil and not for Christ. But yet you want to say you're saved. There's a problem there. There's a problem there. And he says, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Because see, if you accept the power of God, God's power can change what? Any individual. God's power can transform an individual. I don't care how bad a life you may have been. God's power has the ability to change you. And then he says, have nothing to do with them. Now what we want to do is go back and look at what is he referring to when he says, have nothing to do with them. Have nothing to do with them. Why would he say that? Bad company corrupts what? Yeah. Yeah. And we got to know how to keep a distance from the world. Now, this is part of our problems as a Christian even. We don't know how to keep a distance from people that we love even. And sometimes Satan is in our own household and we don't know how to keep the distance. And he says, you have to make a choice. Remember the article I read to you last week where a lot of parents who had homosexual children or gay children, they're, they're struggling with the decision, is the Bible right or is the Bible wrong? For times to write that about Christians, Christians are struggling with that. Is my child right or is the Bible right? Were they born that way or is the Bible right? Do I love my child? Or do I come to a place I don't agree with my child? And what's happening in our society today, a lot of us who parents who know the word of God, we will not say to, my, to our children because we love them, you're wrong. You're wrong. So we put this excuse on it. They grown. They grown. Let me share something with you. I'd rather have my child in prison and meet the Lord and know that he's going to heaven because he has truly accepted the Lord Jesus Christ than to be out here free and never, never surrender to the Lord. I'd rather see him locked up and have a true conversion and to be out here because this life is a short life than to spend eternity in hell. And that's where parents are struggling with. So he says, but mark this, mark this, there will be perilous times and difficult times will come. So Paul's giving us that warning through Timothy. There's going to be some difficult days. I'm warning you up front. There's going to be some troubles in days. There's going to be some days in which you weep, you cry, you hurt, 
there's going to be some troublesome days. And you can also take that word perilous or troublesome or difficult and it says hard pressing days. Have you ever lived through a hard pressing day? You can't wait for that day to get over with. You just can't wait for another day. This day has really been a struggle for you. You've been fighting all day. You've been going through this thing all day. You are hurting about this thing. But God's kept you through it. God's kept you through it. God's kept you. It's not that this bed of roses and everything is good and everything is happy. But the reality, there's some difficult days in our lives as Christians. And Paul said, there are going to be some hard, oppressing days upon you. Difficult days. Dangerous days. Do we live in dangerous times? You can be sitting in your own home and a bullet can fly through it. We were sitting at the table one day, Sunday morning. This happened about two years ago. Coming down Portage Path. One car turned the corner. One was shooting out the back window. The other one shooting out the front. One car shooting. One car shooting this way. I went up on my roof. Never told Elaine about this, but I got the bullet. I went up on my roof. Boy, what I got? I got a bullet in my roof. But that bullet, when it came through the roof, it would land it right in my bed. <laughs> and I had to dig that bullet out and put some cement, some tar-like in there because of the hole that it was creating with the rain. But there's the bullet right there in the shingles in the roof. We live in what? Dangerous times. Look just here in West Akron how many shootings take place. We live in dangerous times. Why? The very first thing it says is this here. People will be lovers of themselves. Now what is he talking about when he talks about people will be lovers of themselves? not talking about homosexuality here. He's talking about an individual who doesn't care or respect about, have any respect for anyone else. All that they care about is themselves. They're so fond of themselves. They're caught on themselves. And all that matters is themselves. Remember that old saying that older folks used to say? I'll try to rescue you, but you're not going to sink my what? You're not going to sink my ship. And today you got to have wisdom as parents and grandparents. You can help your children and you can help your grandchildren, but you can't let them sink your ship because they don't care about your ship. They don't care if you sink with them. They don't care if you don't eat. They don't care if you have shelter. Only thing that they worry about is what they have. That's a selfish individual lover of themselves. That all they're looking for is to take care of themselves. It's just their own interest that they're caught on. They're caught up with what they want to do, whether it be right or wrong. It don't matter who it hurts. 
All they can see is what they want. That's all. They're looking for their own pleasure. They're looking just to satisfy themselves. Don't matter who they might hurt. Because they're looking for their own self-gratification. They're lovers of themselves. Now, understand this. See that little baby right there? That baby has to be taught to really love mom and dad and respect. If you don't teach a child that, that child will grow up selfish. And that child will will take from you from the very moment it's born. You you ever watch your baby when it first comes home? It don't care who it wakes up. (laughs) It don't care nothing about you going to work. It don't care about you having to get sleep. It doesn't even care if you're comfortable. What it's concerned about, if it's comfortable, if it's fed, if it's dry, if it's getting its sleep, don't care nothing about you. Now understand something. That same attitude will follow that child unless you begin to teach that child that they have a responsibility to care for others other than just themselves. You need to really understand that about a child. That's why the Lord tells us to raise up a child in the way they should go. There's training of a child. Because the word there is train that child. And unless you train a child, that child will only be a lover of itself. It don't care if it takes your last dime. Watch your children. Got five dollars? They don't care if it's your last five dollars. <laughs> Go to Luke 16. Luke chapter 16. Because the word says that they are lovers of themselves. And they don't care what your needs might be. Pick up with me in verse 14. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were staring at Jesus. And he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourself in the eyes of men. But God knows your what? Yeah. God really knows your heart. You're only out for who? Self. That's all. And and see, listen to society. Society can always justify themselves of why they're doing what they're doing. Society can always blame it on somebody else. Society can always, you'll find people always justifying themselves why they're in jail, why they're doing this, why they're doing that. They justify themselves. What are they doing? Protecting self-interest. That's all. It doesn't matter who else is hurting, who else is suffering. It doesn't matter what they have afflicted upon others. One of the worst things we've lost in our culture, in our society, is this here. The respect for your own name. That you will not bring shame to your name. You will not bring shame to your name. And that is so important that you work on with your children. 
that your children come to a place that they are proud of who they are and they will not bring any shame to the family name. And that's why they can go to school and act up. They, they don't understand about having pride for their name. And we see that in Christians today. We don't have pride that we are the children of God. And therefore we live any kind of way. We speak any kind of way. And we'll hear people say, I know how to turn it on and turn it off. No, you can't. If you're really born again, you can't turn it off. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't turn him off unless you're going to rebel against him. Unless you're going to quench him. And he says, the Lord knows your heart. And understand this. The Lord really does know your heart. Turn over to Philippians 2 and uh, go to verse 13 with me. Philippians chapter 2. Because here's where we want to look and see. And we want to even see this in the church. Because it's important that the people of God have the mind of Christ and the attitude of Christ and the behavior of Christ. And we, when we begin to see that slip in the church, is because we've seen that Satan has educated somebody very well on the outside who has come into the church, but have not fully gotten indoctrinated by the Holy Spirit of the things of God. And it takes that time to train them. But they bring that attitude, they bring that spirit from out in the world into the church even. And this is what we see, in, and it shouldn't be really in the house of God. But it takes time to transform that. So in uh, verse 3 it says, do, do nothing out of selfish what? And you know, that, gets, uh, uh, a, that takes a time to get people out of the point of selfish ambition, I want to be seen. I want to do. I have to be important. I have to be in this. People have to listen to me. Why is he in that position and I'm not in that position? Why is that taking place and this here taking place? And it's all selfishness. And in the church that causes a whole lot of friction, a whole lot of argument, a whole lot of fighting that shouldn't even be in God's church. But it's selfish ambition. It's all about me. And he says, boy, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than your, what? Than yourself. Brother, you go ahead and do that. I don't have to do it. Brother, you take that position. I don't have to be in that position. You take this reward. I don't have to have it. That you're thinking of people in a much higher plane than you do what? Yourself. In other words, we're taking each other and we're lifting each other up to a higher plane above ourselves. We need to see that practice more in the church. That we really have an interest of other people. And people know we have their interests. That we really care about them. We're concerned about them. Too much of the church is driven on how many wallets come into the church. My old professor used to say, when the church is in trouble with money, go out and win a wallet. If you win the heart of a person, you won everything. If Jesus Christ has your heart, he has your wallet. 
But see, we play number games in the church. It's not hard to figure out I got 300 people and I got out of 300 people, I have 85 family members. Out of 85 family members, I can recollect just by the type of job you have, how much money you're making, and then I put 10% on that. This is what ought to be done. What has ever happened to where, Lord, here's our financial need as a church. Lord, meet that. That we don't beg, we don't have to sit around the plate two, three times, we don't have to stand up here saying we only need another $50. We only... No, we trust God as we tell people, trust God. The church itself trusts God. We trust God. We have to show forth what we're asking of you. If you are to believe God to meet your needs, should not the church believe God to meet its needs? And he says, that interest, that is there. Go to James 2, 14 through 6. James 2. Because the issue is, this is where we got to watch about ourselves as Christians. I was sharing with Larry up in the office today something I learned from Roger. And, and boy, he said it in such a profound way. And oftentimes, even church folks, we get mad over things that are very easy... Shouldn't even, we shouldn't even be getting mad over it, but it's an inconvenience that something happened to somebody else. And that somebody else may not have the money to take care of that thing right at that point. And Roger one time, he said, you know, Pastor, I thank God every time I go into the gas station, I can fill up. He said, I thank God because I have the money to do it. Think of the one who has a car need to go to work, need to do something, but don't have the money to put the gas in their car. Even something as simple as that, do you thank God? Do you thank God that, boy, He has blessed you so that when you pull into the gas station, if you want to fill it up, you can fill it up. You're not asking for $2 worth of gas knowing $2 ain't going to get you too far today. Okay. But you're saying, thank you, Lord. So in James 2, go to verse 14. What good is it, my brother, if a man claims to have faith but have no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you say to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed. And that's about what the church is saying today. We don't want to get there. Why? Because that shows our own self-interest. All we care about is who? Yourself. And the second thing he comes out with back there in Timothy. He says, lovers of money. Do you see people who more who are lovers of money? Yeah. That's all they care about is their money. Men, you have the responsibility of being stewards for your whole household. But when you take money and withhold it from your family, but you go out and party on Friday and Saturday night, you're wrong. 
When you provide a nice ride for you, but your children don't have shoes, something wrong. We become lovers of money because we realize money provides what I like to do or provide my pleasures. But when you want to recognize if you are a lover of money, see how many people you reject from sharing in the blessing that God has blessed you with, especially your own household. That's why the Lord says, a man who doesn't see about his own household is worse than what? Than an infidel. But that man will not allow himself not to go without a good pair of shoes. That man won't allow himself not to go without a good pair of pants or clothing on. But he'll allow his children, then something's wrong. He's a lover of money, and he's stuck on himself. Go to uh, Mark chapter 7. Take a good look at this, of what the Lord's going to say here. Because, again, this comes back into that area of training. That if you don't train your children to give to you and help you. See, one of the things that I'm doing in this older age, I want to make sure that if something happened to me, that Elaine is well taken care of, and that my children don't have to contribute to her welfare, her daily welfare, that she is taken care of. And she has the means to take care of herself. Because if you don't really train your children well, boy, they could be living good and you're living in a shack. They could be eating every day and don't care if you're eating cat food. So when you pick up in verse 10, he says, let me get there. For Moses said, honor your father and your what? Yeah. Now, I want you to see what scripture does. It puts mom and dad on the same what? Level as far as respect. One is not over the other. But that respect is given to both. That honor is given to both. And he goes on he says, honor your father and your mother. And anyone who curses his father... Or mother must be what? That's an Old Testament. Boy, if we did that today, we have a whole lot less problems. I understand what the court says. The court says don't spank. But the Bible says spare the rod, spoil the child. Nothing wrong with a good belt and a good ironing cord or a rolling pin or whatever it takes. What you do not tolerate in your home is rebellion against you. And he says there with the children, he says, But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corbin. Now, Corbin was that you would say that the Jewish law came up with this, that if your mom and dad needed help and they needed $50 to help pay the rent that week or whatever, you cried out Corbin and Corbin was, you're going to take that $50 and give it to the temple or to the church per se, but they go without. 
And most likely when you cried Corbin, you really didn't take it and give it to the temple or to the church. You kept it where? Lovers of money. Lovers of money. And you can see your own father and mother destituted and won't help. And we're raising up a generation of children that have that type of attitude. What tells me they have that type of attitude? Young people barely have respect for any adult outside of their home and very little respect even for mom and dad. And judges are finding that out across the country. Because for a long time we thought, boy, if mom and dad couldn't control them, the judge would. And that they would have some kind of fear over a judge. Let me share something. God has ordained mom and dad and children. If children do not respect mom and dad, they're not going to respect any court of the land. I don't care if he come in with purple robes, what kind of robe. If he doesn't respect the authority of a mom and a dad, they won't respect any other authority. And you need to teach your children how to respect that authority. And he says, boy... But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corbin. That is a gift devoted to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God. Because remember what it said when we begin honor your father and your mother. You nullify that. You nullify that. You nullify them respecting their mom and dad. You nullify them being grateful for what mom and dad has suffered in raising them. You nullify that. And you help them become lovers of money. Lovers of money. Time is fleeing. Let me go to the next one. Boastful, empty. For he says the very next word. He says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. They'll be boastful. Empty pretenders. My grandson, going out Copley High School, Mom working and working hard, just trying to keep a roof over their heads and, and just going through things. My granddaughter, she had no problem going and getting her free lunch because they qualified with the income and so forth. But my grandson, he's going to pretend like he's rich. He's not going to go get the free lunch. And one day a young man confronted him. You're poor. You don't have money. And all that pretense had to come down. Empty pretense that you're trying to be something that you're really not. How does that work? If a young girl doesn't train themselves to be a lady, 
and carry themselves as a lady at all times. When it comes times to be a lady and to walk like a lady, act like a lady, know what to do as a lady, guess what? It's not there. <laughs> because not trained. Watch that sometime when you go out to eat. You can tell them guys that are used to sitting down at a table with a fork, a spoon, or a knife, or a fork up here. They don't know which one to grab what. Why? They haven't been trained. They don't know which fork goes where. Watch a young man sometime. When he gets ready, when he's out. Because sometime when I'm out with a suit, and I'm with another guy, I'll take my chicken even and cut it up. But boy, them guys, boy, who have that chicken, <laughs> they don't know how to use the utensils. There's a time just to grab it, but there's a time just to cut it up. There's a time for a young lady to know how to go to a chair and wait for the young man to do what? Don't go there and just pull it out. At least give him the opportunity to be a gentleman. There's a time for a lady maybe to cross her leg, but there's a time. But see, if we're not trained in these things, they just don't happen when we want them to happen when we're in the wrong type of settings. You're trained to be in different type of settings by the Lord. You're trained. Isn't it amazing today? We're training people to take interviews, to give interviews. And so many people don't know what to expect when they go to an interview. So your pants are down here. Your wrap is around your head. You got all this stuff hanging. And you got all these other things. And you got all these things sticking out here. And may have one here. Who wants to interview you? Who wants to hire you? And you're going to stand at somebody's counter greeting other people. And you can't get out three words, right? He says, you're pretending to be something. And you're what? You can't take a gangster and make him a gentleman all of a sudden. You can't take a young man who stays on the corner and talks on the corner and use the vocabulary that's on the corner and all of a sudden launch him into some profession and think he's going to know how to speak and how to carry himself. All he knows is the corner talk. The same thing happens in the barbershop with a lot of men. You can't take the barbershop talk where? Into your everyday professional business life talk. There's nothing wrong with knowing both. But there's a problem if you only know one. Because, see, you're just going to be pretending. You may dress like a businessman, but the moment you open your mouth, you may dress like somebody important, but the moment you open your mouth, you may look like you're a million dollars and don't have a dime to jingle in your pocket. You're boastful, but you're empty. You have nothing to stand on. Nothing. And all you want is 
attention. Let me close with this little illustration. My sister, it was at my mother's funeral because boastful people want to be seen. Boastful people want to be heard. And my sister's boy, she's just going and going and going. And we're at the funeral home and she then fell out on the floor. And the funeral director was ready to move the casket on out. And some of them were saying, we better get her. We, we better leave her right where she's at. And I told the funeral director, let's go. Leave her right where she's at. And off we went. And somehow she got off that floor and beat us to the car. If you give people who do not deserve attention and you know that they're false, you know that they're empty, you know that they're pretending, if you give them attention, you buy in and fortify what they're trying to act like knowing that's not what they really are. Boastful. Boastful. Wanting to get attention. And we see this in a young generation today. They want attention. Problem is they want the wrong kind of attention. The wrong kind of attention. And they boast like they know everything and they know what? They're empty. They're empty of knowledge. That's not saying they're dumb or they're stupid. But about the knowledge of life, they're empty. But they're going to boast to you about life. They're going to tell you how it is. They're going to tell you how this thing happens. Boastful. Well, we got through a couple of them, but we're going to finish each one of these words. Because what I want you to do as we go through these words, Paul says there's going to be perilous times, and this is what's going to cause the perilous times. These are the attitudes of perilous times. This is what's going to make it hard in the home. This is what's going to make it hard and difficult in society. Because these things are intensifying. They're getting worse, not better. Getting worse, not better. And what I want you to do is open your eyes and see if you can really see is the thermometer going up? Is it becoming greater? Is it intensifying? And if it is, and you conclude that it is, then you know you're getting closer to the last days. You know that it's getting closer to the time of Christ to come. You know. And he says, boy, these things, yes, they've always happened. They've always been happening. But are they are intensifying? 
are they getting worse? Are they happening more? And if you agree with Scripture that, yes, it's intensifying, it's becoming greater. And if you see it in your own home, as much as you can, begin to try to decrease it. Because, see, if you allow it to run rampant, your child or that individual is heading for destruction. Let me leave you parents and grandparents with this. You are responsible to train. You are not responsible for their action and what they do. Some of our children may have to go to hell and I'll be in heaven. And that's why God says, he'll wipe away what? The tears. But don't you ever come to what we read about last week. To a place that you put your child above God's word. Don't never do that. But you consistently pray for that child that they be delivered. But you yourself have to, first of all, be the example. You have to walk with God. You have to show your children what it is to be a godly woman, a godly man, godly parents. You have to show yourself to your children that you really love the Lord. You just can't say it. See, my children know Elaine and I love each other, not because we say it, because we demonstrate it in front of them. You have to demonstrate your love for Christ in front of your children, whether they accept it or not. You demonstrate it. You show it. You be the example. And it may be some hard days. There may be some struggling days. But one day they'll come and say, I thank you. I thank you. Amen? Amen. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing and allowing us to know what to look for in these end times. For as Daniel 9 says, knowledge will increase. Transportation will increase. And Lord, as we see knowledge increasing every two or five years, it's just doubling. As we see that man can travel faster and go further than he's ever done before. That Father, we are in that time, O God, in which we are approaching the end times. And Lord, help us to be ready.